Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your amazing grace that goes beyond our understanding. We thank you that you never give up on us and you're constantly working in our lives and through us to continually perfect us and redeem us and and others around us. We thank you that as we set this time apart to worship you, your spirit meets us right here in this place. Father, we ask that as we look at your holy word this morning, that you will open our hearts and our minds up so that you can speak to each of us this morning. And Father, I pray that your spirit will fill my simple words with your power so that they can accomplish your will for for this time. You are our everything, and we love you, Father. Lord, we ask that you will... Forgive us of anything that we might have come into this room with, Lord, so that we can be in the place where we are most prepared to receive whatever you give us. And we ask that your will will be done in and through us this morning. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we are just over halfway through our series called What's New? And, and we're looking today at the third part. We started out two weeks ago with a very small and focused look at each of us individually. And, and we called that the new you. And last week we, we expanded that circle of concentration and, and we moved it out and we, and we looked at, at the larger body of Christ, what we specifically looked at was the church, our local church, with in a, in a sermon we looked at called the new church. And today we're going to expand out even further. We're going to move out past our local church community, and we're going to really look at the larger community outside of our body that, that we're going to look at called the new community. When we, when we accept Christ into our lives and we allow Him to begin that process of making us the new us, we, we are naturally, we should begin to invest in and connect and become involved in the different ministries that our local church has involved, become part of the body of Christ. And when we do that and we work together and we follow the lead Christ leads us with as the head of our body, we soon find ourselves reaching outside of our church body, and we begin to engage and impact the larger community that surrounds our building. And just as we looked back at the scriptures to see what the new church really should look like, we're going to do the same thing today to see what God desires for the new community. So if you turn in your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 25, we're going to be looking at a parable Jesus gave. Uh, We're going to be starting in verse 31, and we're going to read through 46. So if you follow along, we're going to jump in as we read this parable. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, uh, He will sit on His glorious throne. 
All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and we did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Wow. Jesus like just lays it right out there for you. He talks about how at his return, all the nations will be gathered together. That just like a shepherd, he would separate the people like the sheep and the goats of a flock. Now, this is an interesting distinction here with the sheep and the goats. And many people would interpret this to mean Christians and non-Christians because so many times throughout Scripture, Christians or followers of Jesus are referred to as sheep, those who would follow him. They know his voice and they, and they follow where he leads. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that that is the distinction that's being given here. Now, the sheep who follow the voice of Christ, that does sound like a Christian, right? I mean, it, it, that's what we're called to do, right? And and we know that every Christian lives out their lives just as Jesus intended them to, right? Maybe not. I believe that it would be naive of us to think that there won't be some people who called themselves Christians in life. They maybe even went to church every week who find themselves surrounded by a bunch of goats. And I don't want to be one of those. And I don't think you do either, right? Jesus tells us that he will then go to the sheep and he will praise them for how he took, how they took care of him and they clothed him and they fed him and they welcomed him in when he was a stranger. 
And these people will, will look at him in confusion and, and express, when did we do that for you? We don't ever remember seeing you as that. And he'll inform them that when you did this for the least of my brothers and sisters, really it's for those who are in need, you're doing it for Christ, for him. He'll then turn to the goats. And unfortunately, you're on the left side of the building and I'm looking at you, but I'm not saying you're a goat. <laughs> Next week, everybody's going to be sitting over here on the right. <laughs> oh, the, oh, well stated, well stated. He'll look at the goats and he'll say a curse. Cursed are you who will be eternally in the fires because you didn't do all of this stuff. You didn't feed me. You didn't clothe me. You didn't welcome me. And you didn't take care of me. And this group will also confess, when did we see you and not take care of you? And they will be informed the same thing, that when you saw the least of these and you did not, then you failed me. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Sean. Now, from the sounds of this passage, there is more to salvation than just believing in Jesus as my Savior? Because Paul tells us that it's through faith alone that, that I can be saved. Uh, and, but it sounds like Jesus is saying that if we aren't following him it, and we're not taking care of those who are in need, then we might not be saved? Is this a salvation based on works Jesus is talking about? I think it would be best if I let James, the brother of Jesus, enlighten us on this. If you turn in your Bibles to James 2, or if you just want to follow along up on the screen, we're going to be looking at 14 through 26 as well. And it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if everyone, or if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to him, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God good. Even the demons believe that, but they shudder. You foolish person, do not. Uh, only, uh, you foolish person, do you do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as righteous and he uh, to his as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. James said that I didn't just stating that. In the same way, not even Rahab the prostitute consider, was con, um in the same way, not, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. 
As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So you see, faith is the very first step of of, in our salvation. But as Christ comes into our heart and he begins to transform us and he begins to move us and shape us into the new us that we're designed to be, then our faith must move us into actions and works. If we claim to have faith in Christ and to not be moved to engage the brokenness around us like our shepherd did and he still does, then how can we hope to be called his sheep? And our faith becomes stunted, and James would say it dies. On the same note, I am sure that many of those people who were in the side labeled as goats would claim that they were good people. I'm sure that many would argue that they lived decent lives and they did no wrong and they didn't do any harm to anyone. And they might have even engaged in the brokenness. But James would point out that without faith in Christ, their works are useless. So you see, works on their own can do not accomplish faith. But faith without works, the, the demons have that. You're more than a demon, right? You believe, and if you believe truly, then your life must become that example, as, as we sing about today. Our faith and our works are like our spirit and our body, James says. Without one, the other is void, but together they are a masterpiece of new creation that we have been referring to as the new you. And that is what the new you is. Man, this series is good. I mean, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but it's good. So many ways that it's interconnected. Uh, We cannot be the new us without becoming connected to the new church. And, And we have to then become engaged in the new community outside. Each one is dependent and necessary for the others to have any hope of success. You see, this issue of taking care of those in need is not one that Jesus decided to champion when he came to earth and saw the needs. God had originally called his flock, the the people of Israel, he had commanded them from the very beginning to take care of those, uh, those in need. There are over a hundred verses throughout the Old Testament where God is commanding the people to take care of the orphan and the widow and the aliens. Now, for those of you who are sci-fi fans, here's proof that God cares about aliens just like you do. Okay, maybe not the same kind of alien you do. No, the alien here means the foreigner or in in a more common lingo that we use today, the immigrant. He cares for those. And, and the reason he uses, he talks about these is because these were the people in that day who were the most vulnerable. They were the most helpless. They could do nothing to care for themselves. You see, in a lot of the verses, in that hundred verses that we see God talk about this issue, is God being disappointed with Israel because they became self-oriented. 
and were not caring for them. And God was reminding them of their purpose, their true calling. Now you might be thinking, Pastor Sean, I didn't hear anything in, in Matthew 25 about, about orphans or widows or the, the immigrants. Why did Jesus change up the list here? Really, the list didn't change at all. Honestly, the, the title we put on the groups of people, it doesn't really matter. It, it, what matters is the state of being in which these people exist or find themselves in. As I said in the Old Testament, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant were the most helpless. Without a family, orphans could not fend for themselves, and they often starved. Widows were the same. Without a man in that culture, they could not work. They could not provide. And so God tried to take care of them by putting in laws that said that you must leave a certain amount of your crops left so that the widow and the orphan could come and glean food. The same with the immigrant. They were often displaced. And so they had nowhere, nothing to provide for themselves. It was, God was wanting Israel to take care of those who could not take care of themselves. And when we see that it's the state of being in which the people find themselves in, the lists make total sense together. <clears throat> we, we find that in Matthew, Jesus is referring to more groups of people, but in the same way, they all were just as helpless in providing for themselves. Without clothes, without food, without drink, when you're in prison in that time, did you know that there wasn't like, it's not like prison today, you know, where some prisons are like country clubs now. You can get three square meals a day, all the TV and internet you want. Like, that was not the case then. If you were in prison, do you know whose responsibility it was to provide that you didn't, so you wouldn't die in prison? It was your family. And if you were the man of your family, all of a sudden, your family no longer has an income. So how do they provide for you? God is calling us to provide for those who cannot provide for themselves. It's important to remember that throughout Jesus' public ministry, he was constantly living out this example for his disciples and for everyone else in the community surrounding him. Jesus was constantly ministering to the poor, to the sick, to the possessed, and to those who were forgotten about. This was such a concern that Jesus was often the topic of grumbling for the religious leaders because the company in which he chose to associate with uh, were not the people they approved of. Not only was Jesus healing the sick, but he was also regularly tending and healing the spiritually sick those believed to be unredeemable because of their sins. Jesus made it a common practice to have meals with and to minister to the tax collectors and to the prostitutes, and those people were, you never talked to them. One time, Jesus' disciples were being asked by some religious leaders why Jesus was eating with those people. 
But really what they meant was, why are they not eating with us, good, upstanding religious people? And when Jesus heard this, he replied to them, and, and we find it in Mark 2, 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now the church throughout history has made a point of making sure to reach out to many of these different groups that we find mentioned in Matthew 25 to provide services to them and to attempt to meet their needs. For much of the history uh, of the church, the church was the primary provider for medical needs, for social needs, whether it be to care for the orphans or the homeless. Most of education was handled by the church, and there was an attempt to minister to those who were in prison. Now, the church is made up of men and women, just like you and me, and, and they're not perfect. So we know from history that the church's methods were not always the best, but at least they were trying. Slowly over time, many of these different services have moved out of the hands of the church and have been taken up by either the government or other individual independent ministries and services. We find now that besides a few specific Christian schools and, and several Christian-centered homeless shelters, that largely the church has removed itself from most of these areas of ministry. Now, there are definitely individuals within the church who still heed that call we hear in Matthew 25 and are connected in one way or another to impact their community. And I think our church does an amazing job of that. I, I've heard many stories of, of, of you guys connecting in different ways to the people in need within our community. Now, I believe that if we're going to fulfill our mission as the new church, as we, uh, we must find a way to impact and influence our community with the love of Christ. If you remember the parable I talked about last week, the, the one about the, re the life rescue station and how it over time became more of a country club. And, and over, and because of that, they, they really just stopped involving themselves in life saving ministries. We should be so very careful to heed that warning and to not allow our church to become that way. Our, you see, our community is full of different shipwrecks with people spiritually drowning all around us. Now, I looked up some of the demographics for our county, and I want to just mention a couple of them, and these are no specific reason I'm mentioning them. These are just the ones I picked. There are lots of other ones you can look up. As of 2017, did you know that in our county, there are three homeless people to every 1,000 residents? From 2015 to 2017, there was a 123% increase, going from 269 homeless people to 602. And those are just the people that they could pin down and record, meaning there are more outside of that number. Also in our county, as of 2018, that there were three kids, three, three, not two, three kids for every 1,000 residents entering into the foster care system. 
Now, I do not believe that every individual church has a responsibility to start up some program on their own to try to accomplish or to, to fulfill these different needs. And these two statistics, as I said, they're just a sampling of the groups of people who are in need of the loving touch of Jesus in their lives. I do believe, though, that God desires each of us to find ways to minister to those who cannot take care of themselves and, and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Because here's the truth for you. When we allow Jesus to come into our lives and to transform us into the new you, then what we're, what we're doing, and in essence, we become what I often referred to with my youth group as mini-Jesuses. Each of you is a mini-Jesus. You see, when we choose to follow Jesus as his disciples, we are called to mimic the life that he lived and he laid out as an example for us. So thus, our lives should become many Jesus lives. We should be caring for those in need, loving the unlovable, sharing the free gift of grace to all, constantly striving to keep people who are spiritually drowning because of the shipwrecks so that they might find life again in Christ. So what does that look like for each of our lives? What does that look like in our church? These questions are so very important for us to understand and to strive to answer. I believe that as individuals, God is able to use each of us in the specific careers, in our families, in the social situations, to do just what Matthew 25 and what the example Jesus led us to follow we can be many Jesuses to all those who need us to be, which is everyone. Take care of the sick, the poor, the lost, and the broken. Love those who most would reject. Encourage those who are lost and are broken. Speak truth in love to everyone. Be the hands that lift people up out of their brokenness and the supports while they find their sure footing on Christ. I believe that as a, as a church, we are, got, we are called to do all of these things. And as we do all of these things as individuals, then naturally people will be drawn into our rescue station where, where we can be a place where those who need rest can rest, where those who are lost can find direction and salvation where those who are in need can find help and those who are who feel worthless can find their worth in Christ we are to be the new church the place where we are where all are welcomed they're loved they're cared for and ministered to no matter what state they find us in as the church we hold the secret to changing the community around our church for good and that is the saving love and grace of Jesus. It is our mission. Um, it is our mission, what our mission should be. Sorry, that is not worded well in my sermon. <laughs> our mission should be, as St. Francis Assisi would often say, we should preach the gospel at all times. And if necessary, we should use words.
Do you get that? If necessary, your life on its own should be preaching the gospel. Because you see, the way that we engage our community preaches the gospel of God's love and grace just as much as it does hearing it preached from this pulpit. So if you think about it, your role in spreading the good news is just as important on Monday morning as it is here in this service today on Sunday morning. We have a mission and we must rise to it because the voice of the great shepherd is calling us to follow in his footsteps. And I pray that as that we as a church, that we will never give up on that mission. Now, will you receive this benediction? As you re-enter into your lives this week, remember that each of us are a new man and woman in Christ. And that we are members of a life-saving organization called the New Church. It is our mission this week to engage the community around us. And remember that God, that the God of heaven, he goes before you. And that Jesus walks alongside you into every encounter placed before you. And that the Holy Spirit will guide you, give you wisdom, and lead you in how you are to fulfill your mission this week. Now, if you will stand with me and receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you and give you peace. Amen.